0: Our scripture reading is found in Matthew, chapter 5, verses 27 to 30. Jesus is speaking, teaching his disciples. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. The Word of the Lord. If this was all that we thought Jesus had to say about sex and we didn't look deeper into this text or wider throughout Scripture, then I think it would be fair to say, as many do, yeah, yeah, you Christians, you are uptight about sex. I mean, you're Puritans. You're like uh, the church lady, right? If you lust, you're going to hell isn't that special <laughs> this view of sex is negative it's crippling it's it's impossible but I think if we see a deeper look into this text as to what Jesus is really saying and a wider view of Scripture about what God has to say about sex I think, and I hope to prove to you this morning, that the Christian view of sex is actually one of the most attractive features of Christianity and one of the greatest evidences of the existence of God. We're in a Seven Deadly Sins series, or as one of our children led us to begin calling it, Seven Daily Sins that uh, we wrestle with. And during this series, we have been called by the King of Glory, to whom we've just prayed and sung, to commit a radical act of worship and obedience. That is, to put every part of our lives into the King's healing hands for renewal and restoration. And that includes our sexuality. So today, we're going to consider... The daily sin of lust, at least it is for me. We're going to ask three questions. What is lust? And that's going to be a bit of an extended question because frankly I think we don't understand lust until we understand sex. And we're going to talk about the origin of sex and the purpose of sex and then go and talk about the great destructor of sex and that's lust. So what is lust? Then we're going to ask, why is it so deadly? And then finally, we want to ask, where's the healing? Where's the help? In the beginning, God created sex. Chapter 1. He made them male and female, and it was very good, and they were naked and without shame. Chapter 2. When God brings Eve to present her to Adam and perform the first wedding ceremony, Adam is so struck by Eve that he actually breaks out into the first love song. At last. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And then God pronounces the blessing over the marital union. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united that is joined that is literally glued to his wife and the two will become one and then God goes on to give this newly married couple the first commandment be fruitful and multiply now I don't think he was talking about us learning times tables nor do I think he was only talking about having children also one of the great destructors of marriage. Just kidding. (laughs) But it is good birth control. Um, I think he was talking about the enjoyment of two naked people making a covenant before God and then sealing that with the sexual act and completely in unblinking intimacy giving their lives to the other. Why do I think this might have been something God intended for joy? Have you read the Song of Solomon lately? Can you say erotic? You will see erotic eight stanzas of aroused, naked body parts being ogled, touched, and enjoyed by a married couple. It is so hot That the Jewish rabbi said no Jewish boy could read this text until he was 12 years old and bar mitzvah, PG-12, for the Song of Solomon. There's the origin of sex, a marital covenant made in the presence of God, in the presence of this community, and then sealed by this thing God created called sex and sexual intercourse. Its purpose, though, whoever makes it gets to give the owner's manual. And there is an owner's manual. It's the purpose of sex. When Jesus says in Matthew 27, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, he is referring to the owner's manual. Now, you'll remember that adultery means sexual intercourse or any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage. That is sex without covenant is what's always been for- forbidden it's the the sixth commandment why because of the way god designed sex to work within marriage the sexu- act of sexual intercourse is a symbol of the great reality that's happened in a marriage that is a unifying act where body soul spirit mind will emotions to become one and the sexual act is that symbol of what's just happened. In fact, that's the body parts. God has made our body, and specifically our genitals, to be the commitment apparatus. To be used to say to another person, I am completely vulnerable and naked before you. I am completely in trust of you, and though I, therefore I belong to you, and I give myself completely and exclusively to you. And that's written into our bodies and it's performed through the sexual act it's why paul says in 1 corinthians 6 as he's talking that's why a man cannot have sex with a prostitute and not have it affect him you can't have sex with a prostitute and leave your soul in the car you and he quotes the genesis passage he says if you've had sex with a prostitute you are one with that prostitute to become one And so when we want to say to a person, I want to have sex with you, but I don't want to be married to you, I don't want to give my life to you, we are misusing God's commitment apparatus, and that is a tearing of body and soul. You are using body oneness, but without soul oneness, but the body oneness that was intended to bring soul oneness. You are misusing the commitment apparatus. John White in his uh, really, really good book, Uh, Eros Defiled, he puts it in this way, it's very articulate. Immediate erotic thrill is the most superficial benefit of the sex act. The bodily exposure that arouses and accompanies sex can be profoundly symbolic and powerfully healing. It is healing if it's the concrete sign of what is happening in the whole relationship, the uncovering of my deepest fears and yearnings. As I tenderly look on the body of another, and as I experience what it is to feel the tenderness of another's caress, then the one who accepts and touches my most intimate body and caresses it with tenderness caresses also my inmost being, or so it seems when all is right. So, it only makes sense that sexual relations be confined to marriage. For mutual disclosure and tender acceptance is not the activity of a moment, but the delicate fabric of a lifetime's weaving. Each time sex springs from casual encounter, physical disclosure and touching without personal disclosure and touching, some of its life-giving and healing nature Is destroyed now before we move on and talk about lust and how lust deconstructs the God gift of sex I want to make two tangential comments here related to this quoting the first is understanding that God made sex and gave it a purpose and understanding his owner's manual and how he wants it all to work means that when Christians have sex within marriage understanding what it means Christians have the best sex. Oh, come on. I thought I'd get an amen in the house on that. (laughs) Jeez. Christians have the best sex even when we get wrinkled and old and thick and bald and gray. Come on, people. Because sex is so much more, so much deeper than just, like, personal pleasure. Every time a Christian couple makes love, they are renewing their marriage vows and saying again, I do completely and exclusively in unblinking intimacy. And that rocks Now, let me just step into a pastoral hat here and say a couple of things related to that. First is, I understand, and I see it every week, how hard sex is for many married couples. And it's often having to do with past sexual abuse, hurtful history, sometimes it's due to physical restrictions, and sometimes it's even to do with the aging process. And what I want to say there, if that's describing some of your marriage and how sex is a part of it right now Two things one You are called to the cross In that part of your marriage that may mean for some of us going without sex If jesus hung on the cross for you you can go without sex And you should not be beating up your spouse over it You should not be letting it dictate the whole contour of your life. It's a hard calling. Have empathy and concern and give till you die. But the other side of it is sex is a gift of God and should not be given up easily. And if there is this struggle in your life and past sexual abuse and so forth, Keep working on it. We have great counselors. We have resources. We have ideas. Don't quit. Don't give up. Keep the conversation going. Talk about it as a married couple. Work for understanding. Work for open and transparent communication around sex. Don't let it smolder. Talk about it. Don't quit on it. We want to help. We want to help if we can. The the other thing I wanted to say not only that Christians have really good sex, but the uh, culture doesn't know what to do with sex. Have you noticed? There are those movies that just treat sex as an appetite, get as much of it as you want. Fill your life with it. I mean, it's just a rite of passage. It's just a ring of status. It's just disposable bodily pleasure. It's enjoyment. Just go and get it. I'll never forget a few years ago. Well, two incidences. One, but a few years ago, I was reading uh, uh, an article about uh, studying sex on college campuses, and they interviewed this one guy. And he says, Yeah, yeah, when I'm hungry, I go and I get a quarter pounder with cheese. And when I'm horny, I go and find a girl who's willing. Wow, It's just an appetite. I I remember When uh, Bill Meyer used to have a politically incorrect show I used to watch that just to get my blood boiling (laughs) Engaged with culture He had a panel and somehow the topic of pornography came up There's three women on the panel and one of the women as the topic came up really pushed back hard Hard on pornography and how destructive it is and Bill Meyer says Look If you women aren't gonna give us what I want, what we want, we men, you have no room to gripe when we turn to pornography to get our needs met. So on the one hand, culture is just an appetite. It means nothing, it's just fun, feels good. On the other side of the culture, movie after movie, book after book is saying, oh, sex and romance, it's apocalyptic, baby. It, it's like the best of the best of human experience. And that's why there's a thousand songs a day written about love and sex and only one in recorded history about your job, Dolly pardon 9 to 5. <laughs> sex is everything. I mean, it's... Even atheists have to use the word forever when they talk about sex and love. So on the one hand, it's nothing. On the other hand, it's everything. Longer than there have been stars up in the heavens, I've been in love with you. Corny lyrics and bad poetry. The culture doesn't know what to do with sex. The origin, the purpose, the confusion. Now I want to move in and talk about lust, because one of the great obstacles, one of the great enemies of God-given sex is man-made lust. Back to the text, I think Jesus gives us a pretty good picture of what we're dealing with here with this daily sin. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, and I just want to point out, in the Greek language, the verb always comes before the subject, but in this case to emphasize something, the subject is put before the verb. I, emphatic I, tell you, like listen to who's speaking here. I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her In her heart so Jesus pastors were saying no the only time adultery is a sin is when you actually physically commit adultery Jesus says no 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 it starts long before that and does damage long before that it starts in the heart and what exactly is it going on in the heart well two words to point out which give us the this visual picture of what lust is he says anyone who looks Now again, sorry to bore you with all the Greek grammar, but uh, I mean, this is why you paid me the big bucks to go to seminary. (laughs) It's a present participle, which means it's not just a glance. It's, some translators translate it, a stare. It starts and it keeps going and going and going. This is fantasizing. This is holding, you know, in this context, a woman as an object of lust that you cannot take your eyes off of her and you're using her as an object to get your own needs met. Staring at a woman lustfully, epithumio, compound Greek word, which means desire to possess. This is a total selfish-oriented activity. So you do see what's happened and how lust deconstructs sex. Sex is a gift given by God for complete otherness in a relationship But when we take it and make it lust it is sex for one It is a self-gratification party it is it is lust Divorces love lust denies communion Lust disregards commitment lust uses sex to feed the heart and soothe the soul and spice the boredom. It is a completely individual activity, a, 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 a shaming use of a gift of God lust. You might be asking, okay, Larry, but. Why do you say it's deadly? I mean, it's a private activity. No one knows about it It goes on in my head, you know in secret places. It doesn't hurt anybody It's in the privacy of my head in my home. Why do you say it's deadly? I don't say it's deadly. Jesus said it first. Notice what he says in 29 and 30 We go back to 29 Was 29 on the other one? Okay, I got it He says if you you cut out your eye You take drastic measures if you don't uh, You're going to end up in hell And then 30 same thing your arm If you don't you're going to end up in hell So first of all just this You know throw this statement in Jesus talked more about hell than anyone else in the Bible What is hell? Hell is the place And the existence That people choose Who do not want Jesus To have any say Rightful and healing over their lives It's their choice. It's where they get to go and live selfish See, I I like the way tim keller talks about hell He talks about people that go to hell and people who are influenced now by hell are people whose lives have been totaled And that's in the the metaphor of a car wreck right when you have a car and a car accident. What does it mean when your car is totaled? It doesn't mean that your car stops being a car but it does mean that your car can no longer operate and function like a car. It's alienated from its original design. So, God made human beings. He who is love made us to love. But when we choose to not be a loving person and rather absorb life for our own selfish consumption, our lives begin to get totaled. We are no longer operating as we were originally designed. And what Jesus is saying is that lust has the potential to total your life. I'll never forget, Nick, back when we were in the movie theater, he preached a sermon on hell once and he described it as a place where, uh, and I forget if this is in literature or what, where he got it from, but it's a place where your arms grow into six foot long spoons and the only thing to eat in hell is soup. And so in hell, in order to survive, you have to be able to learn to eat soup with a six foot long spoon. It's impossible, right? The only way you're gonna survive is if someone in love feeds you. Well, that ain't happening in hell. Hell is the place of absolute misery caused by total self-centeredness. Anyhow, take that home with you. Think on that. C.S. Lewis said, there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who say to the Father, thy kingdom come. Those to whom the Father says, your kingdom come. Your choice And if you're choosing lust It has the potential To total you What does total look like? Well the word Jesus used for hell Is an interesting word It's not the normal word It's literally the word Gehenna Gehenna was an actual place South of Jerusalem Which was a garbage dump What's a garbage dump? A smoldering place of decay And disintegration Jesus is saying, lust has the potential to total your life and turn your life into a place of decay and disintegration. How? What's that look like? Lust has the power to diminish intimacy in your life. If you are wrestling with and your life's either you typically moving in one direction or another away from lust towards lust If you keep moving towards lust it has the potential to bring a garbage dump into your life that can really ruin your relationships You know when you're pursuing lust That it weighs on all your friendships because you have these compartments in your life that are secret and that are escapism and the more you chase those things the more it's going to damage married or single it's going to damage your relationships it's going to take you further and further from what you really need and what's healthy for you so it's going to hurt you relationally but this is interesting perhaps some of you have been reading the literature on this the research what they're discovering in the last 10 to 15 years as we've had unlimited access to this thing called the internet is that the largest segment of the male population that is struggling with erectile dysfunction, guess what? Is 20-somethings. They are no longer able to be aroused by an actual physical body. They need the airbrushed porn to be aroused. There was a featured article in Time Magazine a few months ago, controversial, why young men who grew up with internet porn are becoming advocates for turning it off. Talked about nonprofit, not Christian, nonprofit organizations springing up to help 20 somethings recover from porn. Listen to this one really capturing paragraph from the article. A uh, growing number of young men are convinced that their sexual responses have been sabotaged because their brains were virtually marinated in porn when they were adolescents. Their generation consumed explicit content in quantities and varieties never before possible on devices designed to deliver content swiftly and privately, all at an age when their brains were more plastic, more prone to permanent change than later in life. The results of the experiment, they claim, are literally a downer. The result in some internet porn users is higher brain activation to internet porn and less arousal to sex with a real person. And then there is the habituation, the need for more to get the same hit. Lust has the potential to total your life, physically making you even unable to respond to actual and true God-given intimacy. So, it not only has that power, but it also has, and this is how lust, this is how all sin works. Lust has the power of diminishing returns, or I should say, the promise of diminishing returns. The more you have, the more you'll need to keep having what's good enough. It's diminishing returns. Well, and all sin works this way, right? And it usually goes like this lust or any sin is saying, okay, no awe of God, I'm going to set him aside. And right in front of me now, I'm gonna place lust. And you're asking this lust, you're asking these dots on a screen to be God to you, to spice your boredom and soothe your soul. You're asking dots on a screen to save you. Dots on a screen cannot be God to you. And so you will need more, and more and more, and you'll keep trying harder and harder and harder, and it gets more dangerous and dangerous until you are far from home and where you ever dreamed you'd be. Because lust operates under the law of diminishing returns. Lust will gut your friendships eventually, lust will strain your marriage, and in many cases, we've seen end your marriage lust will steal time from your children take money from your bank account lust will spiritually make you a schizophrenic so that you know you're rah-rah for god in one place and hiding completely and utterly from him in another place and that will bring us crippling guilt crippling guilt into your life and again you will end up in places you never dreamed you'd be that is the deadliness of lust. So, what do we do? How do we heal it? Well, in the text, Jesus gives us the practical and the principle, and we need to see them in that order because you can't have just the principle without the practical. Without the principle, the principle is this: We read this right eye, gall- cut it out. You know, r- arm, hand, cut it out. Now, you know this is poetry, right? There's absolutely no evidence to suggest that one-eyed people are less lustful than two-eyed people (laughs) poetry to get across the point that one of the things we need to do in our battle against lust is drastic measures so the eye let's think about the eye the way we view we need to change the way we view lust especially if we're struggling with it that means two things first It means that we need to learn with lust to anticipate consequences. Joseph did this well. Remember Joseph, the story of Joseph? His brothers sold him out, gets into slavery. But Joseph, God's hand was always on him, lifted him up wherever he was. He ends up in Potiphar's house, managing the whole house. Potiphar was a very powerful man in Egypt. And Potiphar put Joseph in charge of everything. And this one particular day, Joseph is doing his work, and Potiphar's wife comes in and says, come to bed with me. By the way, let me just make a quick comment about that, about men and women and lust. Usually, and the stereotype research plays out, usually men are more stimulated by visual uh, things when it comes to lust and a scene. Women tend to be more stimulated by a narrative or a story. They want a different life, a different world, men just want immediate gratification with a different scene in life so men tend to be more visual women tend to be more narrative however a recent study in christianity today and i forget where they got the information you could google christianity today and this study lust but discovered that at any given time one third of all people using pornography are women come to bed with me joseph And here's the way we have to think about lust steps back engages his mind uses his eyes and says wait wait if I do that I am going to hurt Potiphar and he's been so good to me and gracious to me I'm going to hurt someone I love and I'm going to damage my relationship with God he says I'm actually going to hurt God whenever we're tempted by lust We need to wire our brains to think, wait a minute, what am I doing here? Anticipate consequences. I am going to hurt my family. I'm going to hurt my life and my soul. I'm going to hurt my relationship with God. Think it through. And after it's all done in 30 seconds of pleasure, I'm going to feel absolutely miserable again. Anticipate consequences. Look at it differently. Not only that, but look at it this way as well. What you're actually doing when you succumb to lust is saying these dots on this screen are going to be God to me. Can they really be God to me? I mean, asking them to be God to me? That's like a cannibal nibbling on himself to commit suicide. That's like offering a thirsty man pretzels. I want you to have that image next time we're tempted. Thirsty man, pretzels. This ain't gonna do it. Not what I really need and want. Think about it, think. That's the eye, the hand. You know, if the eye is cognitive, the hand is behavioral. I'm giving you free counseling this morning, no charge at the door. Do, you need To change behaviors one thing this means is that those areas where you're most prone and often tempted you need to shore up defenses there that's specifically around computers everyone who struggles in this room men women i have it we have it in our family i raised two sons you need something on your computer that lets someone else know where you're snooping around no excuses Covenant eyes this one we use Costs ten bucks a month best investment. I've ever made in myself or my sons My wife knows all about it Which leads me to say the second thing let me but I you need to take drastic measures You're not just gonna be able to sit there and hope it goes away Engage Take steps and the neat thing about a, a covenant eyes is it reports your websites that you visited to two other people every month. Get reports. By the way, I've had covenants with many men in this church. I, I probably get almost 25 reports a month from men in this church. Way to go. And I'm willing to do more. The other thing is that you need to bring your closest friends Namely your spouse if you're married into this journey Now I know and I have seen it up close and personal How devastating that is for a spouse to know that their partner's been struggling with lust with porn But you will not gain victory until your wife or your husband is on board with you Now i'm not suggesting they become your accountability partner I think most wives in particular are much happier to have Your husband working at it with two other men. It's a very awkward situation to be put in as a wife or a spouse but if your wife knows that you are Working and battling as hard as you can that matters to her And that's part of the way to gain ground bring your wife into it bring your friends Into the journey the more light you get on it the more healing you will obtain we have some great resources at Waterstone. We have a men's, man-to-man group on Wednesday nights. We have books. We have counselors. Let us know how we can engage with you towards healing. So drastic measures is first. Eyes, hands. That's the practical. The principle is this. Remember the emphatic eye. You will not gain ground in your battle against lust until you acknowledge the emphatic eye, Jesus. And you need to remember the story. The story is that from Genesis, it's a wedding, how reality began. And in Revelation, reality ends with a wedding. Wedding to wedding. Point being this. Yes, Jesus is our king. We place all of our lives into his hands. But the calling is to actually live out our identity. The king calls us to live out our identity. We are a child of God. We are a new creature. We are a citizen of heaven. And lastly, and this one fits all of reality, we are married to God. Have you thought about that? We are the bride of Christ. We are God's spouse. Now, I know for men that's a weird dynamic. It doesn't It doesn't mean that it's mushy and romantic. It means love, sacrificial love, the true definition of love, otherness, giving yourself for God. That's what it means to be God's spouse, truly loving him. Laying down our lives for him. why because we see what he's done for us He lived the life we should have lived and he gives us his righteousness and purity and he laid down his life and died The death we should have died which gives us freedom and forgiveness Seeing how Jesus loved us and then hearing him call us to be married to him Enables us to take on and live out our identity. We are married to God He is the king of glory and he is my spouse to the degree that you understand you are married to God to the degree that you hear him singing over you longer than there have been stars up in the heavens I've been in love with you to the degree that you hear him singing that over your heart that will be the degree that you are motivated to battle lust Rich Mullins He's a great Christian songwriter and poet. I miss him every week. He died in a tragic car accident at the age of 41 in 1997. One time Rich Mullins was playing in a concert in front of thousands of people, stopped singing, and confessed to the audience that just before he'd come on stage, he'd been engaging in pornography and he was in deep and he was struggling. Can you imagine? Later that week, he got his trusted friends around him, a leadership team that helped him run his uh, gospel ministry. And one of them said to Rich, Rich, the problem here is not that you're a bad person. The problem here is you're just not supposed to travel alone. Practical. So from that point on, Rich Mullins never traveled again for any kind of Christian ministry without another man with him. One particular time, Rich says he was in Amsterdam, not far from the infamous red light district there. He had finished a concert, he was restless that night. His friend was with him and they slept in the same room and he was just waiting for his friend to go to sleep and start snoring because he knew his friend would love to know if he's snoring, he's out. And Rich was thinking to himself, I just wanna see what it'd be like to take a walk and be tempted. So he kept waiting and waiting and waiting for his friend to snore, and at five in the morning, his friend never snored, got up, but what had happened that night was Rich not only engaging the practical in his life, began to understand the principle in his life, the emphatic I am, and God gave him a song that was one of the great strides that he took in his battle against pornography. When he, he prays, Jesus, you are the king of glory, but he also prays, Jesus, you're my prince and I need you to hold me. I thought a fitting way to end our time today would be to have us pray with Rich Mullins this song that God gave him. It's a prayer that we all should learn to pray in our battles with lust. It's called Hold Me, Jesus.